You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. Inflation data came out from South Africa today showing that the inflation rate on year-on-year basis for the month of July rose at 7.8%. And I spoke to an economist earlier on about this, and she said to me, that's probably peak inflation. And she, and I had sort of quizzed her on that. And she said, well, it's probably not going to come down to the 6% level, which is the top of the Reserve Bank band of 3 to 6%. Yeah. But we do think it is going to come down. You would probably agree with her, I think. Yeah, I would think so. Because when you look at the at some of the un- – well, first of all, yeah. there's no wage inflation or demand inflation in South Africa. That is non-existent. Right. So the inflation we're getting is from essentially stuff that we import or uh, stuff that's priced um, on, you know, priced in dollar terms and global terms. Right. And when you look at the big components of that, uh, uh, food for one, you know, the dollar price has already come off quite significantly. I'm just quickly calling up the charts here. So that peaked in dollar terms in June at about 160. This is just an index value okay. down to 140. So that's already down 15% off its peak. And of course, the big one is, uh, is oil price. And that also peaked, let's call it in June at 125. And it's now 100. So, you know, that's down 20, 15, 20 odd percent as well. So those two big inputs are actually down already um, from their peak. But of course, you know, now that you're measuring July, you know, you're measuring against July last year. So statistically, now this is going there. Let me actually just do one little small modification. Let me just take this in rands because then we get a far more accurate picture uh, just while you're so doing you that look at the oil yeah just yeah. while you're doing that i think the food pr- food price inflation rose by 10.1 percent during the month of, of july yeah. i mean that, that's a, a dramatic figure because uh, the most of the the majority of the po- population in south africa i would say their biggest expenditure is food so that's really really impactful yeah, food and transport yeah exactly no there's there's no question about that but let me just Sorry about the slight delay. I'm just calling not up this data. So now looking, so now looking in rand terms at the July number, and let's deal with food. So July a year ago, the food index was 1,900. It's now 2,300. Okay, so it has gone up dramatically on a year-on-year basis, but when you start measuring the next month and the next month and the next month, your base climbs up, but the actual prices are falling. So between now and the end of the year, food inflation at current prices will be zero. And food could well fall more. And then, of course, next year, as you get towards May, June and July, food inflation will become negative. So, you know, I I would tend to agree that we are probably at the peak, but inflation is measured year on year. So the month on month inflation, for want of a better word, is already negative. But the year on year, because you're measuring last year off a very low base, there will the year on year figure won't turn negative 
until February, March next year. But on the other December, hand, the, the, January, February. On the on the other hand, the July figure was one point five percent higher month on month. So from June to July yeah, went to still, went, still, But you think that's peaked? You think that'll go down between yeah, July I think and the August? Month on month will go down. Yes. Hmm, okay. The month on month will definitively go down for fuel. What about the rand though? Uh, I'm looking at Brent crude oil. It was above 100 uh, about two hours ago. Yeah. It's just slipped back now to $99.81. Yeah, but the rand is above 17, which is, as you said yeah. earlier on, it's not demand inflation that we have in South Africa. It's yeah. imported inflation that we have. And that has, yeah. has, as its major component, the rand or the dollar rand exchange rate plus other exchange yeah. rates. So uh, what do you say about that? Well, you know, that will obviously contribute as well. And in fact, that might exacerbate the situation in towards the middle of next year because the RAND, you know, you can't believe it. The RAND in April was 1425. Really? Was it really 1425? decrease but of course the previous numbers i was looking at for oil and food was the rand price not the dollar price so i was correct on that being being the the actual rand price but now you know when you look at the rand and you look at the rand going back many 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 years it actually follows a reasonably predictable pattern you know over long time periods and it's actually uncannily accurate, this sort of predictive pattern over very, very long time periods, um, because it's not that far out from fair value. So when you when you take the RAND on a fair value basis, you know, the fair value as it sits now will be anywhere between sort of 15 and 16 or 1525 and 1625. So at, so at 17, the rand's not actually not nearly as dramatic a sell-off of what we've seen in the past in 2015, in 2008, 2003, and on the COVID in 2020. It, it's actually still reasonably valued despite this weakness that we've seen, because quite frankly, at 1450, the rand was overvalued. Yes, and you're very good yes, at that. So you, you, you're actually very good at saying it's overvalued here, it's undervalued there. I just wonder, do you remember... So it's, slightly, it's slightly undervalued now. Do you remember Nene... actually that dramatic, to be honest. You would remember Nene Gate, and I can't well. remember when it was, but Nene Gate, the Rand, uh, briefly overnight went um, to 19 against the US dollar. I wonder where the Euro-dollar yeah. exchange rate was then, because we've got a dollar factor here, with the dollar now yes, being worth more than the, the Euro, and I would imagine it was probably something like 120, 125 when the Nenegate yeah, affair mm, occurred. So it's... Your Nenegate was exactly the beginning, the sort of mid-December 2020, 2015 was, was, was Nenegate. Okay, so nearly um, seven years ago. All right. And I wonder where the Euro-dollar was there. But cause... that also, by the way, I mean, obviously Nenegate uh, exacerbated the situation, but... It was also the tail end. It was virtually the two dates virtually coincided with uh, the bottom of a very, very, very bad commodity down cycle. And that also clearly contributed to uh, RAND weakness in 2015. So the Nenegate was the 
the sort of final straw there, but it was already a weakening currency because of a very dramatic commodity down cycle. Remember, the Kumba share price went into 20, into the 20s, and Anglo's went into the 50s. But yeah, if it just I, I for some reason can't get the euro dollar exchange rate here, but the pound dollar exchange rate has gone from 0.7 to 0.85. Yeah. I'm just trying to find that euro dollar as well. But anyway, the the point is that if you, it was nowhere near where it is now. The euro dollar was not below par. Uh, It was 120, 125, I would imagine, at around about that time. So that was independent rand weakness. And um, today, it's uh, the rand is weak, yeah, for various reasons. But the US dollar influence is very, very much to the fore. Um, So yeah. Got the euro dollar exchange rate, yeah. Yes. In 2015, it was actually one. It was between 1.05 and 1.1, and now now it's at one. Yeah. And I said, actually, wasn't that different? I thought it was weaker than it that. Actually, wasn't. I mean, the, the euro the euro strengthened quite dramatically in 2017, and in 2020 when it went to about 1.25 against. But you know, now it's one to one, eh? As we all know. 9933. It's quite yeah. dramatic, actually. There it is, and it's very, very meaningful. Europe uh, doesn't look very good at the moment. Wayne, I've asked this no, question of a couple of other commentators. How do you cope with inflation when it comes to clients? You say to you, your clients will phone you up tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning and say, well, we've got 7.8% inflation, uh, so we've got to beat inflation, otherwise we're losing money in real terms. So how, what is your inflation play? I mean, should there be one? I'm not saying you have to have one because, as you believe, inflation at the moment is transitory and it's going to come back down in the States to 25 yeah. 3%. Uh, but if you thought that it was going to stay around, what would you do? Is it dividend-paying companies? Um, no, if you, if you truly believed inflation was going to stay at these levels, only one – well, there's actually at the moment two things that can beat inflation. One is our bond rate can still beat inflation, surprisingly enough. And the other one, obviously, over long time periods, is shares. I mean, shares ultimately are the only asset that can truly beat inflation over long time periods, simply because, excuse me, oh, the share market as a whole will adapt its business practices to the high inflation, its product pricing, and those companies that don't survive you know, can't cope with it, won't actually survive. So the equity market truly is the only one. Sorry. But it's nice to have an, an to be oh, in the equity easy, market. Yeah. It's, the only, it's the only one that can actually do it. But, but, but the one thing we'd make quite clear to clients is that you, you can't beat inflation on anything less than a five-year rolling time period. Because yeah. you say, I'm going to beat seven percent inflation this year and give you plus three is impossible you know so it's five years plus but at the moment if you just take i mean obviously a lot of our clients aren't in pure equity but you know the um three year the three year return from equities you know it's still above 20 percent. so your equity component of your basket on the three-year basis is, is nicely beating inflation you know, it might not be doing it on a one-year basis, but certainly on, on a rolling three-year basis, it's actually quite a nice return. So you don't shift. I mean, it's obviously, it's obviously you're going to stay invested in equity because that, that that is your game. But on the other hand, you can combine that with solid, proven dividend payers as well. So something with three, four, maybe even 5%, but at the same time, looking for capital appreciation yeah. or share price appreciation, rather. So you yeah. can combine Look, and, the two. And, 
and the ones that give you that at the moment on our share market is clearly the 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 um well the biggest sector that gives you that sort of dividend yield and a reasonably stable you know share price environment in comparison to other shares is actually the banking Banks. shares again. Yes, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. Because cool. the, the, the retailers don't give you a 7% dividend yield. But but the banks certainly are giving you maybe not 7%. Well, I suppose it depends on which bank you actually look at. But, um, I mean, like the biggest bank market cap-wise is, is First Rand. And, you know, First Rand, you're getting a 5% dividend yield. And that will probably go up because, as you've seen with all the other banks reporting, you know, they're upping the the dividend increase is quite dramatic for this uh, uh, six-month period to June. I mean, okay, first round will be a year to June. It won't be a six-month, but it'll still be quite a big increase. And then when you look at the other banks, I mean, let's take Standard Bank as an as an example. Um, so we, know, we know that APSA's dividend yield is quite dramatically high. I mean, you're getting a 6.5% yield on Standard Bank, which is very, very good. And if you go for APSA, you know, you're probably getting a 7 or 8. You're also getting a 6.5% dividend yield on, on, on APSA. That's that's quite good. But, of course, the, you know, don't be f- too fooled by dividend yields. Why? I mean, you can buy – you because the, the dividend yields – dividends can disappear quite quickly in uh, cyclical commodity companies. I mean, you can buy Kumba on a 13% historic dividend yield, but their earnings can disappear, as we found out. And if you take if you take a platinum share, you can take any any platinum share. Well, let's take Impala. That's probably a better one to look at. If you take Impala, yes, you know their dividend yield currently almost 10%, but in the last six months their earnings halved. And the share price also depreciated you know, so quite dramatically as well, I think. Share, the share price has gone down in the last six months, down almost 40%. There you go. So it's also down, you know, quite dramatically. So, you know, you don't get, you mustn't get too fooled by dividends. You must look at the consistency of of the dividend. So, I mean, yeah, you can take Kumba. It's one of my classic examples about the variability of commodity companies. So if you take Kumba... I mean, the, the, Kumba, the Kumba dividend went from seven rand a share in 2015 to zero <laughs> for two years. And yeah. the share price went from a peak of 600 bucks to 22. Uh, 22 bucks, 23 bucks. And now the dividend per share, the historic dividend per share now is 114 rand. You know, and that's, a so that's mass, five times that's for the, a year now. That's a five times share the price, price of 2015. It's five times the price of the actual share price at, at, at its low when it was priced to, yeah. to go out of business, which is which is amazing. Yeah. So it's it's just it's there's so, a so cyclicality there. Too fooled by dividend yields. Mm. You know, they, these commodity companies have the strongest balance sheets they've ever had, the biggest positive cash flows they've ever had, and they're paying out the biggest dividends they've ever had. But that's not guaranteed to be sustainable, obviously. Because they were doing very similar things, you know, at the height of the China years, you know, when the share price got to 600 last time. That's 2004, 2000, uh, sort of, sorry, sorry, 2010, 2011 on the back of a very strong commodity cycle. And there the dividend they paid out was 44 rand a share. Okay, it's significantly higher now. But that 44 rand went to zero in a very short space of time. Man. Do you remember when uh, Cecil uh, cut their dividend? Uh, the, the shock and yes. horror 
in the investment in the investment community, and the share price fell precipitously. I think it was uh, yeah, it was, it was it was a moment in time. But yeah, people do hang their hat on dividends, especially when a company that has a reputation yeah. for being a dividend payer suddenly says, "Sorry, lads, uh, no more dividend for you." But it's okay. So I understand. Well, Don't look, get well, fooled look, by dividends. Cecil. Cecil's even worse than the standard commodity company because they truly wasted money on that Lake Charles. And because they wasted so much money and they got into so much trouble, they had to sell half of it at the bottom of the cycle. You know, at exactly the wrong time. Yeah, so the Cecil share price in 2018 was 600 bucks. Hey, next stop was 22 rand. Yes, it's, it's, it's a number, isn't it? And it's now back at like that 350 Kumba. odd rand. And again, it's it astonishing. was priced for, priced for failure at 22. For we were selling at 22. Now. How can you sell Sassel for 22? You could sell their petrol stations for more than 22 rand a share, for goodness sake. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, but look, but look, you know, markets, The unfortunately, the majority of participants in the market are driven by fear and greed. Mm. Now, it's not necessarily the asset managers. I'm talking specifically about the retail market, the end investor. When panic sets in, people sell at any price. Literally, at any price whatsoever, they will sell. They're forced to sell in, in many occasions because they no, are, they, they are they're yeah. geared up. They have margin investments, margin margin investments. Look, 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 South Africa, the, the, the general investor is not geared. It might be the case in America and maybe overseas, but the, the South African investor that I see, they're not geared. They, there's luckily enough, I suppose, in South Africa, there's almost an inherent rule of thumb that you don't borrow money and invest in the share market. There's there's very few retail investors I know that are geared. I mean, obviously, there are people that are geared, but it's not nearly as prevalent as what you see overseas. I mean, if you go to a, you go to a bank, maybe, well, you go to an investment bank, not just a commercial bank. You go to an investment bank and you say, Hi, I've got 50 million rands worth of listed shares. Can I borrow money against that? So the first answer you will be you'll get is yes, we're going to discount that price by seventy percent. Okay. So there's fifteen million that we'll lend you on a fifty million portfolio, and then they'll also say, but you have got to let's just say that share price was also fifty rand. They'll say you have got to buy options to protect us in case the price falls below 15 rand. So, so, in, so they've actually got zero risk because they, they, they tell you to buy an option. So you've got to take the out money the protection. You're going to borrow from them. They don't take out protection. So, so in other words, it's, it's difficult to get gearing on pure shares. Okay, maybe hmm. guys have got a house that's paid off and they take out a mortgage bond and put that into the share market. But you, you actually can't really borrow money to any large scale against shares in South Africa. It's, it's not really a, a done thing, I suppose. As we've been speaking, the oil price has gone um, to $100.40 per barrel because there's been a 3 million barrel uh, drawdown in US stocks. So people are using... Stocks, uh, yeah. I think it's the driving season. Anyway, never mind that. Wayne, I want to tell you a story now. 
thanks for your analysis of uh, dividends, etc. Um, I used to work in um, in the late 1990s in Commissioner Street in Johannesburg. I don't know if you're familiar with the street. It was when uh, it was when companies still did a little bit of business in the CBD of yeah, Johann- I know, I know Johannesburg. Commissioner, but I don't know Commissioner well. Yeah. Anyway, it's Commissioner Street, and I I worked on the 28th floor of the old Southern Life building. Well, it wasn't the old Southern Life building. It was the Southern Life building the, in those days. The, the big square one. Great big square thing, yeah. The and big tall, tall square one, yeah. Yeah, it used to take me about That's five. nice to think empty. Yeah, of course. Anyway, I worked there with a couple of a couple of chaps. One chap was called um, uh, the, the the digger. He was um, an equity trader, but another chap was a deacon of the Catholic Church, and he was like an introductory broker. And um, I won't give you his name, uh, but obviously we called him the Pope. So on a Friday, at around about quarter to twelve, the Pope would um, uh, look across the desk to me and say, "Lindsay, the bone," and I said. And I just nodded. And then three or four of us would go in a designated car and we would drive to Jan Smuts, Jan Smuts Avenue. Uh, it was almost on the corner of Bolton. I don't know. Keith Kirsten's yeah, uh, nursery used to be there. I know exactly um, where it is. Yeah. Exactly. And there was a, a restaurant there called Giovanni's. There were a few Giovanni's throughout Johannesburg, all owned by different uh, people. But Giovanni's it was. And they served the most spectacular T-bone steak. And we would sit there, almost drooling, waiting for these things to come on these giant plates. And what they would do, they would leave the bone there, but they would cut the meat off for you, but leave the bone there just to give you that authentic T-bone experience. And I have to say, with the sauces on the side and the beautiful vegetables that they served, it was a wonderful thing. And we used to go back and it didn't do any work. We would fall asleep at our desk because the meal was so so beautiful. What, when you go out to a restaurant, what, what do you what what um, and you, you're having a steak? What cut do you order, Wayne? I'm not a big T-bone fan. I, I will be honest. All right. I would I would order a rump steak, All medium right. rare rump steak. I like. I prefer a rump to a fillet. Yes. It's sir. got more to me. The meat's got more texture, and it's, it's possibly a little bit more flavor flavorful. And also the one concept I, I, I cannot handle because it once again reminds me of my youth in Kimberley as we've spoken Your about mother. many times eating stew. Yeah. <laughs> Every time a person says to me, it falls off the bone, I don't want to touch it. I want something where the meat stays on the bone and it's quite firm. I hate this meat that's too essentially overcooked or, or overboiled or I, 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 whenever I hear the concept, was so nice the meat fell off the bone, whether it's chicken or T-bone or whatever. A lamb, I, it just for example, turns me I mean, off automatically. There's two types of, 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 of leg of lamb, for example, or a, a shoulder of lamb. You can have it uh, quite rare. I mean, I like a rare leg of lamb, but on the other hand, if you I get like a shoulder of well. lamb, I, I think it should be slow. You've got to cook it, and, and unfortunately, mm. it does fall off the bone. Or if it's a deboned. Yeah, uh, a very a very very good friend of mine gave i'd never had lamb shoulder before right but uh, i used to work with her at momentum she's now left momentum well so have i but good friend of mine gave me a lamb shoulder recipe and i dutifully went off to a butcher because you can't just buy a shoulder you know pre-packed you know and he cut me a shoulder and i followed a shoulder and i followed all the ingredients of the recipe and everything that it, it just wasn't lack of the meat was 
The meat was too stringy and too tough. I, I, I didn't like it. Maybe you cooked it incorrectly. So I'm, not going to, I'm not going to. And I did everything as per the instructions because that's one thing in life that I, I actually do follow recipes. I'm not normally a, a massive conformist to regulation and, well, not, let's not call it regulation, to social norms. Right. But with recipes and that, I don't try my own flair. I, I followed the recipe exactly, cooked it for the right amount of time at the right temperature with the right, marinated it for the right amount of time in the fridge and turned it and mm-hmm. did all the things. But I, I wasn't terribly impressed with, with the shoulder. I mean, I love the what, – what we're doing at home now is we're buying – the rack of like five or six lamb chops together and then cooking it, you know, baking it, um, cooking it in the oven like you would a roast and then you cut the individual chops off the rack. Oh, the rack so we're not lamb. actually buying a leg of lamb. We're doing, a, we're doing racks. And I must say, it's, it's actually delicious. We had one last week and that was the first lamb that we've had in a good couple of months. It wasn't quite stringy. I mean, I don't know how to describe it correctly, but for the last few months, we, we didn't seem to get good quality lamb in South Africa. It was quite tough and stringy, whereas this one was, let's call it lamb, you know, that you're more used to. It was actually delicious. Wayne, I've told you, we've had this conversation. There, there are companies that, mm. um, that sell Karoo lamb, Karoo lamb, and they deliver them to Johannesburg, and they distribute them. You can buy either a quarter or a half or even a whole lamb, and you've got all yeah, the different I bits there. Do that. You should do I mean, you're going to have to put a few of them in the freezer, even though you're a, a massive carnivore. Um, I, I think you should do that because yeah. they, they they are a different league no, to the I supermarket lamb. We have spoken about it. It is, it is delicious, I will be honest. I love lamb. But talking about lamb, go on. where I go for my lunch every Sunday, there's an Indian restaurant in that same little complex. Mm. And normally, surprisingly enough, even though you had a huge full roast Sunday lunchtime, <laughs> Sunday evenings are normally about 7 o'clock get quite peckish. So we used to buy every now and again, not every Sunday, we used to go to the little, a, f- a, funny, a funny name for a Chinese shop. It's called Tony's Chinese Takeaway. Oh, Tony. I don't know many, too, many, too many Chinamen called Tony, but we used to, buy, so used to buy some sushi or some fashion sandwiches. So we thought, no, let's, we've never, we've been coming to the, to the Sunday lunch place for many, many years, if not many decades. But we've never tried the Indian one, so I bought some tandoori lamb chops there. Mm. First of all, it was very reasonably priced. There were five chops. Very important. And they were delicious. They were totally and utterly delicious. So that might be our, not our Sunday <laughs> night meal. We, we actually might buy it for the Monday night meal, it, it, it was truly delicious. So you stuff your face uh, with, your, with your delicious roast, with all the trimmings, the roast potatoes and, and, and everything yeah, but else. but don't you find that if you have a huge lunch, you're starving at that, that night. If yeah. you have a normal lunch, then, then, you, then you're not overly hungry, but somehow your stomach says, wow, I enjoyed that big Yeah. You, you, you educate your stomach. One. It's like with people going on a diet, you know. You educate your stomach and to to accepting less if you're on a diet. But if you if you as you do, you're a good trencherman. That you eat you eat a lot of food. Then your stomach says, "Oh wait a second, I haven't had anything for now four hours. Get me those tender yeah, chops. I'm, give me up." Yeah. But I must admit, I'm only fat because I eat chocolates. You're not fat. When it comes to actually, no, I am fat. I, I don't mind. I'm not excessively fat, but you know, I, I live with it and I accept it. So it's not a problem. Um, but 
when it comes to individual meal sizes, I actually don't chow that much. I, 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 can't, I can't do huge volume, to be honest. I mean, like at the Sunday roast, I get the ladies' portion, and I always get the ladies' portion. And the, it's more than enough. I mean, the dog gets leftover meat and vegetables. A dog absolutely, I don't like broccoli, but the dog absolutely loves broccoli. Love so you always dog. get broccoli with the Sunday roast. <laughs> And you give him the broccoli when you put it in his bowl. So he's got, he's got roast beef, he's got, and he's got vegetables. So he's got carrots and he's got uh, cauliflower. He doesn't get any potatoes, obviously. So he's got meat, and he takes the broccoli out and puts it on the floor next to his bowl. And the first time he did it, I thought, well, he clearly doesn't like this, and he's segregating it from the good food. <laughs> and then he ate the, then he eats the whole bowl. And then he comes back to the broccoli. Now, you know what a dog's like. It's, if you put something in front of it, it chows it instantaneously till it's gone. Right. He put the broccoli on the, on the floor next to his bowl, and he ate it with great care. And I say, uh, save the best obviously till savoring last. It. He, saved he saved the best till last, last, and he saved it. He didn't, he didn't just chow it in one, in one mouthful. Well, he doesn't just chow it. He nibbles on it. He, it's, it is truly the little special thing. He takes it out, puts wonderful. it on the ground next to his bowl, and he scoffs the rest of the stuff in three seconds, gone. Oh. And then he gingerly bites on the broccoli and saves it. What a, it's astonishing, actually. What a hound. That's marvellous. And just before we uh, before we go, Wayne, uh, do you feel slightly emasculated when you say to the waiter, excuse me, my dear fellow, I'll have the ladies portion? No, not at all. You don't? No. no, not at all. No, it makes no difference. Okay. Uh, you know, the one thing that I explained to my children is that <laughs> there is one distinct advantage about getting old is you don't worry about appearances and wearing the latest fashions and the latest shoes. And it just is not of importance. So you're not worried about not feeling a true man because you're ordering the ladies portion that when you get older, that just doesn't bother you anymore. You, no. you can shop with, you can do all your shopping for clothes at macro and pick and, and pay pick clothing. And pick. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't worry you, doesn't worry you at all. When you get older, yeah, you don't have clearly, to I mean, you're, you're not a man of straw, but the, the fact is that you don't care. I mean, you've almost given up when it comes to fashion with the macro and the pick and pay uh, thing. You're buying. Yeah, well, something. I've actually, I've actually always been like that. I, it's not. It's, it's been accentuated. Obviously, in my twenties, I wanted to be cool, but I suppose from about forty onwards, you realise you're not cool anymore, <laughs> and uh, you just. I mean, I only, I only own one branded. Shirt. Well, one branded piece of clothing. Oh, wait a second. I remember shirt. what it was. Was it was it Gant, Gant. or a Gant? That's it. Yeah. Because my daughter-in-law used to work for Gant, and she bought it from the factory shop mm. and gave it to me for my birthday. Unfortunately, it was my birthday a good couple of years ago, so it doesn't fit anymore. But I haven't thrown it away. Oh, okay, so you're poking up a bit. Never mind that. Wayne, it's been absolutely fascinating. Well, I'm 15 years, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, no, it's, it's absolutely it's age-appropriate. I'm also piling on the pounds, but um, who cares? I don't care. Yeah. Wayne, thank you very much for your insight on both um, food, and I think we talked a little bit about markets, but I can't remember now. But uh, that's Wayne McCurry from FNB Wealth and Investment, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.